On Sunday nights, I've been dealing with uh, basically the topic of overcoming wounded hearts and uh, hitting some somewhat heavy topics. Now, some of it's not been easy to take, and uh, I know it, it kind of hits you and stirs you up in certain areas. And I do plan on continuing on in that. We, we've, we're going more in-depth into the, the four elements of that, and that's wounds. We talked about wounds in the next uh, section we're going to look at is lies and how that Satan plants lies in those wounds in our life. And I'm not going to do that tonight. We're going to do that next week. Uh, but tonight what I've decided to do, I'm gonna, it's a simple message. Um, it should uh, not be too terribly long, but I've said that before. Amen. Uh, but we will take our Bibles to go to Psalm 24. Psalm 24. And uh, we'll read this text. And basically, I just want to talk about a pure heart, a pure heart, and uh, the importance of having a pure heart, and that's what we're aiming for here, is to be pure in our hearts, amen? And so Psalm 24, verse number 1, it says this, The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world, and they that dwell therein. For he hath founded it upon the seas, and established it upon the floods. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face, O Jacob, Selah. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this psalm. I thank you, Lord, that you've shown us what it is that we need to focus on, what we need to do, what we need to deal with in order to ascend and to have fellowship with you, walk with you, and be blessed. And I pray, Lord, that with this message, as simple as it is, uh, Lord, it would just help us tonight and help us refocus and maybe deal with some things that's been hindering us from being as pure as we ought to be. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was the last <clears throat> message I preached uh, probably about uh, 13 or so, 14 years ago, uh, to my men at uh, my first ministry in Kenora. And I felt so burdened for them. Uh, you know, I knew I was leaving, and I just thought, man, guys, keep your hearts pure, keep it pure. And I was just trying to encourage them. I knew that if, if the devil's going to mess up your life, he's going to try to mess up your heart. And I really admonished them that way. And uh, hopefully they took that seriously. Um, but it, it's, it's, a, it's a huge battle today in the world that we live in. Because the devil is working so hard to get into our hearts through the different avenues of this world. That's why the Bible says to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. Uh, you know, if, if he's got your heart, the world won't deposit that garbage in. You know, I look at the heart as a one-port uh, thing. It, 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 it'll be fed and used or blessed by what you point it to. And so if you point your heart to the world, that's what's going to fill it. But if you point your heart to God, then he's the one that'll fill it. And so you need to make a conscious choice. You need to choose to turn your heart to God. And you've got to choose to turn away from the world. And we know that from the verse I even mentioned this morning in 1 John chapter 2, that all that is in the world, um, um, and now, now the verse isn't coming to me, but um, 
talking about the lust of the flesh and the pride of life and so forth, and talking about if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So you have a choice to make. You'll either love this world or you will love the Father. And what does it mean to love the world? And that's where those three elements were brought in there in First John, where it talks about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Uh, the lust of the flesh is everything that this world has for you to do. It can fill up your, your heart full of things. You say, boy, I'd love to do all this, and the world has got this for me, and I can go grab a hold of this, and I can do, 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 do. And all those things, the world is enticing you, drawing you towards that. And if you put your heart towards that, you will love the world. Uh, Then it's also the lust of the eyes, and that's everything that you want to have. So what to do and what to have. Uh, That's why the Lord doesn't want us to develop a covetous heart. He wants us to be content with what we have. He wants us to pray about the things that we have and then be happy with what he gives us. You know, and if we do that and we trust that we have the things that we want to have because we, or that we need to do his will, he will always, he says, I will always give you what you need. But many times we're asking for things that are out in the world and the Lord says, no, I'm not going to give you something that where your heart is set upon the world and where you want to have what the world is offering you and you're asking me for it. I'm not going to give it to you, amen? But if you turn your heart to me and you ask for something that is going to help me use you in a greater way and to be more effective, I'll guarantee you this, I'll answer your prayer every time. Every time. But many times we're asking for things because our heart's set towards the world. And so all the world wants you to do, all the world wants you to have, and then the pride of life is basically what you want to be. That is what you're going to become. A lot of people look to the world. They say, this is what I want to be in the eyes of the world. I want them to see me as this. I want to become this. Maybe they want to be famous. Maybe you want to be respected. Maybe you want a big position, whatever it may be. That's everything you can be. And the world will give you a lot of things that you can be. But if you set your heart upon those things, those three things... What the world wants you to do, what the world wants you to have, all you got to do is turn on the advertisements, you'll see right away, you know, there's a lot of things they want you to have. Stop setting your heart towards that. <clears throat> you don't need to watch those advertisements. You don't need all these things that they want to sell you on, on the infomercials, amen? Be careful of just picking up the phone because you see it on, online, <laughs> you know what I mean? And then that thing about being. You know, the Bible says that if I just simply want to be what the Lord wants me to be, He will give you everything you need to do what He wants you to be. You know, I never thought I'd be a preacher. That wasn't my decision. If I would have set my heart towards the world, I would have been something else. But when I began to set my heart upon God, He began to put His desires in my heart. Then He says, this is what I want you to be. Then as you're being that, He says, this is what I want you to do. Then as you're doing that, he says, this is what I want you to have. And in the same way that you give your heart to the world and you have all those things, it's the same way with the will of God. You say, Lord, I want to do what you want me to do. I want to have only what you want me to have. And I want to be what you want me to be. See, that's the place we have to get to in our daily life. That is, that's an aspect of a pure heart before God. 
Amen. This world wants to pollute it. Redirect it. Colossians chapter 3 says, set your affections on those things which are above. The affections are your heart. Amen. Not those things that are on the earth. And so, your, your purity. The importance of a pure heart. Now, the first thing, it's very simple. You're wondering why it is I'm not happy. I want to be happy. And so we set our heart to this world looking for happiness. The problem is you're not going to be happy. In fact, I'll give you a verse that proves that. In Matthew chapter 5, verse number 8, it says this, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That word blessed really in essence means happy. Happy are the pure in heart. Amen. So if you really want to be happy, you just start working, letting God do a work in your heart. That's how happiness will come to you. It's not going to come by doing what the world wants you to do or having what the world wants you to have or becoming what the world wants you to be. You're not going to find happiness there. But you will find happiness when you set your heart towards God and say, Lord, I just want to have a heart full of you. Amen. He will put happiness in. He says, blessed are they. You'll only know God and his will when you have a pure heart. Many people want the will of God, but they've not got their heart away from the world long enough to really find the will of God. Something about being a child of God, and the disciples proved this to us in the garden, when Jesus said, can you not pray with me one hour? <laughs> you know? And then he said an interesting statement. He said, uh, truly the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So many times if I'd ask a child of God, I'd say, hey, don't you want to do this for God? Don't you want to serve God? Don't you want to sell out to God? And most of the time they'll say yes. But they're not. Their heart is this way. I appreciate that the want to is there, (laughs) you know, but there's got to be a decision made. And I believe in every child of God, there's not one person that's born again that says, oh no, I want to live in the wickedness of this world. I want to deal with the world. I think every child of God, if they answered honestly, would say, really, deep down in my heart, I want to follow God with my life. Amen? But that flesh is weak. It really is. And that's why you've got to stop feeding it, because the more you feed it, the stronger it becomes. <laughs> you know. And folks, you've got to be careful what you look at in this world. And allowing it to fill your heart. I think Christians, we've been doing it too long. We, we spiritualize our direction. We, we call things the will of God when it has nothing to do with God. We, we chase after things in this world. We kind of spiritualize it and say, oh, this is what God wants me to do. And really it's not because it's taking away from the things of God. You're not faithful to church. You're not faithful to the house of God. You're not reading the Bible the way you used to. You're not praying. You're not fellowshipping the people of God. In fact, your relationships are all going haywire. Uh, that's a sign that something's wrong. Something's wrong. You can only do the will of God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. They shall see God. Only the pure in heart are going to understand what God truly wants for them. It's not going to come any other way. Amen. Like I said, every child of God will say, I want the will of God, but they don't see it. And they don't see it because they're not willing to turn their heart to the Lord and say, Lord, please cleanse this thing. (laughs) You know, that's all you can do with a heart. Your heart is a pretty simple mechanism. It's a switch. It's like a light switch. It has two positions. It's one position is away from God, and the other position is towards God. 
Now, you can't cleanse it. You can't clean it. You can't fix it. You can't build it. Really, there's nothing you can do with your heart. The only thing, choice that you can make is where you're going to set your heart. That is really the only decision you need to make. <laughs> and then when your heart's set towards God, then he says, well, let me clean that thing for you. <laughs> and then he begins to do that. See, you're not going to be pointing your heart at the world concerned about you know, cleaning your heart because it's never going to be cleaned because God doesn't have access. But as soon as you turn your heart to God, now he has access. Now he says, I'll clean it for you. <laughs> Amen. But it all comes down to a decision. One decision to flip the switch. Lord, I'm going to set my heart towards you today. I'm done with this world. I don't think they have the answer. I've come to the end of myself. Now, a lot of us, we come to that end by experience. Where we, we hit the ditch. We hit the wall. We're wallowing in the mud. We're saying, what am I doing here? And then we decide, I guess God's way is best. You don't need to go that far. You can just go to the scripture and just believe what it says. Amen? Or listen to the preaching tonight and just make a decision by faith. And I believe a faith decision is going to yield you much benefit, you know, by just deciding something, basically because it's the right thing to do. But folks, don't wait to hit the wall to turn your heart. Amen? Because you will. The wall is there. It's waiting. <laughs> you're going to go headlong into it. And you're going to whack your head. And you're going to go through lots of pain. And at the end of that, you're going to come to the same conclusion that this preacher is giving to you in this message tonight. So why go through all of that? <laughs> Set your affections on those things which are above. Amen. You can really only be obedient to Christ if you have a pure heart. In 1 Timothy 1.5 it says, now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. So the end of the commandment. So basically, when I'm done obeying, what's going to happen is I am going to be doing that out of charity, out of a pure heart. If I don't have a pure heart, I really can't complete anything that God's asked me to do. It's only out of a pure heart that I can do things that God really wants me to do. I can be obedient to him. Now, I understand it's easy to play the game. <laughs> it's easy to pretend. Pretend like we're doing God's will. But I'm talking what God sees, not what man sees. He tells us that the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart. Amen? You'll also see things differently from a different perspective if you have a pure heart. It always blew me away in church you know, I'd have people come to me and they tell me what the preacher preached on. And one person just comes at you and just, oh yeah, this is what he said. I'm just kind of, are you listening to the same sermon I'm listening to? Then you get a guy over here saying, yeah, boy, the Lord just blessed you that. He told me about this and he spoke to my heart. And, and you know what? It's just like, wow, that's a completely different message. Now I know the preacher's not speaking in tongues where everybody's hearing in their own language. <laughs> It's the same words, it's the same message, it's the same scripture. But what's different here is what's going on in everybody's heart. That's why the Bible says in Titus 1 verse 15, this is what it says. Unto the pure, all things are pure. But unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. That means... We could have someone come up here with the offering plate and put it at the front table. 
Some of us would wonder if the preacher's been taking money out of the offering. The other one's just saying, boy, let's, hopefully God can use this to reach more souls for Christ. It's all perspective. You know? Many times when you make your accusations and criticisms, you're really revealing far more about your heart than anything else. Because you've allowed your heart to become defiled. <laughs> and everything you hear is being filtered through that judgment, through that criticism. And when that happens, you need to catch yourself and say, you know what's going on here? I don't have a pure heart anymore. <laughs> I, I, I'm starting to hear all the negatives. I'm starting to hear all the criticism. I'm starting to take everything from a certain perspective. And that's not what God wants me to do. He wants me to, to listen to things as a pure person, a pure heart. Amen? We've got to be careful no matter who we are in ministry. You know, I, I believe... As a pastor, sometimes the Lord gives you grace. Like, I got to hear all the junk, all the time, you know. But I believe that God gives the pastor the ability to hear it and not have to necessarily become defiled by it. You know, I found, and I amaze sometimes with what the Lord does, where I can know something about somebody. It doesn't change my, my, my opinion of them, you know. I love them just the same. Maybe it's because I know how rotten of a sinner I am. <laughs> you know, or where the Lord brought me from. But it doesn't, it doesn't change that. <laughs> you know, and we need to understand that. But if we allow ourselves to become defiled in our heart, we will always filter what everybody says, as positive as it is, as true as it is, it'll come out defiled. We've got to be careful about that. And if you find that's what's happening after the sermon, you guys go home, you start talking about the message, you start talking about what this person said or that person said, and you're always getting this negative slant. Well, all you're doing is revealing that your own heart has become defiled. And even if people are messed up and they say crazy things, you know what we need to do? A pure heart will look at that and say, you know what? Look at how far they've come. Amen? I rejoice in that. I'll tell you something, you know, there, there's very few people that started at the finish line in a race. <laughs> you start at the starting line. And God needs people to take these people from here to there. And it's very difficult along the way when there's people that are caring about these people growing and there's people throwing tomatoes at the same time. Because they're not exactly where they want them to be. Amen? I'm just glad they've got through the starting line. <laughs> and maybe they're 50 yards up. And maybe we've got 1,000 yards to go. Whatever. <laughs> Amen? We should just praise God that they're, on, they're in the race. That's the way I look at church life. If you're looking for a perfect church, this isn't the place. <laughs> I'm not going to pretend here. Uh, you know, when I got into ministry, that's what I thought. You know, maybe there's someone that has a problem that I can help them with. <laughs> then I realized everybody's got problems. It was like an epiphany, like, oh, <laughs> everybody. <laughs> then I started looking at myself, me too. <laughs> then it began to dawn on me what the local church really is. It's people helping each other in this race. No matter what what, what place we are in the race. You know, sometimes you have people out there that think the church, everybody's got to be the cookie cutter. 
Folks, there will always be people here that address them modestly. There'll be people in here that maybe say, don't say the right things. You know, it's not that I want people to dress them modestly, nor do I want them not to say the right things. But if that isn't happening here, then I'm wondering whether we're really being used of God. Because we'll always have people out of the gate. (laughs) And if we don't, then we've done something wrong. (laughs) If all of us have graduated to this point where we're all the cookie-cutter Christian, then somehow we have pushed out those that are at the starting line, and we only accept those that are at the finish line. And that's something wrong with that kind of church. But there's a lot of them out there like that. Amen. So don't get critical of people. I understand. Hey, if they're going to hurt people in the church, we deal with it. That's the way it's got to be. If there's something that's going to hurt the cause of Christ or hurt a family or hurt your children, we will deal with it. Folks, take my word for it. I've been there, done that. But folks, if they're just working through personal issues and you're offended because they're not like you, I mean, come on, man. Give them a break. Let them grow. Maybe start praying for them. Maybe start encouraging them. Every time you come to church, go to them, shake their hand, and say, we love you. And I'm glad that you're here. Can you imagine what that would do to somebody? The first probably three times you do that, they'll wonder if you're really sincere. Then when you keep doing it, they'll say they are. It'll change their heart. Amen? So let's be careful about this because, you know what, to a defiled heart, everything is defiled. Everybody's got a problem. Everybody's not what they ought to be. Criticize, criticize. But for the pure heart, we just see them at that starting line. We're saying, come on. Just a little bit further. And they quit on you. You say, oh, it's not worth it. (laughs) Maybe you got some of these self-righteous Christians giving them a hard time. You just tell them, don't worry about those people. God will deal with them. We're here for you. Come on. Come on. This isn't about them. This is about Christ. We're pressing toward the mark. Amen. I wasn't going to cry tonight. Now I am. Next point. You can only have true wisdom if you have a pure heart. James 3.17 says, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure. That means if you're not pure, there's no way you can understand the wisdom of God. There's a wisdom of this world, there's a wisdom from heaven. (laughs) But that wisdom from heaven, if if we're going to actually get a hold of that and live according to that applied knowledge in our life, there has first got to be purity. It's interesting how he puts that there. First pure. (laughs) Amen. Just in case you didn't know. (laughs) First pure, then peaceable. That means if you have the wisdom of God, you're not going to be the one stirring up trouble. You're going to be the one bringing peace to the situation. (laughs) Blessed are the peacemakers. Amen. And then gentle, gentle. (laughs) Oh, no, that's not a real Christian. Christian is aggressive. (laughs) It's not what the Bible says. But the servant of the Lord must not strive. But be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient. 
instructing those that oppose themselves. Amen. It says easy to be entreated. That means you, you can be approached. You can be talked to. People aren't scared to ask you things. Amen. Good fruits without partiality, without hypocrisy. That's the wisdom of God. Next point is you'll only be able to love others right when you have a pure heart. I've always loved this verse in 1 Peter 1.22. It says, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth. So through obedience, we become purified. So if you make a decision tonight and say, you know what? I want to be obedient to the Lord. You know what you're doing? You're making a decision to purify your soul. Because your, your obedience will drive, will drive the purity process of your heart. But if you don't care about being obedient, you'll never have a pure heart. So he's saying here, seeing ye have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit, that means you've got to be born again, unto unfeigned love of the brethren. Unfeigned is unhypocritical. It means a real, genuine love for people. So it says that if my soul has been purified, that I'm going to have an unhypocritical love for people, a genuine, sincere love for people. And then it'll also say, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. And I like that word fervently. It means to boil up. It means like when you put water on the stove and you turn up the heat and it starts to bubble. <laughs> Amen. Love one another with a pure heart fervently. Let it boil in your heart. Amen. That's what we ought to be. Now I'm going to give you just a couple of points on how to stay pure in your heart. First thing is this. Keep the return of Christ always before you. There is a reason that in the early church, they preached about the coming of Christ all the time. They expected it to happen. Now I know today, you know, people will mock that. You talk about the return of Christ, they'll treat you like you're a crazy person. But folks, it won't be so crazy when he actually comes. These people are going to look at that and say, oh boy. And you know what? There's no complaint department when he comes. Your complaints have already been made. And he'll take it very seriously. He'll hear every word you said. Every idle word. Amen. Be careful. There's something about the coming of the Lord that keeps the bride pure. That's why the Hebrew um, marriage uh, process was the way it was. The, the man would come and choose who he'd like to marry and she of course would like that too amen and uh, and then the father of the bride would require a dowry and so that husband or that new uh, groom would say okay i'll give you whatever you want and he'd buy his wife amen <laughs> now that's a picture of the redemption that's a picture of jesus christ purchasing us purchasing us with his very life and that was the price that was demanded by who our father was. And our father was the devil. There was only one way to escape that family. And that was to be bought with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. After the dowry is made, the husband would declare his love towards his bride-to-be and say, I'll come back for you. 
And he'd go back home. Wouldn't take her with. They would be, in the eyes of the people, they said, these two people are married. They are in that process of marriage. And he would go home and he'd spend time with his father and the father would help him prepare himself for his new bride. And so they'd prepare a place. And that's why in John 14, he says, if I go, I'll prepare a place for you. He says, I will come again. (laughs) And I'll receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. Amen. See, that's the bridegroom preparing the place. And that's why the Bible says that no man knoweth that day or hour, except the Father. That's what Jesus said. Well, it's the Father that told the Son and looks at what he made and looks at how he's prepared himself and says, You know, Son, I believe you're ready now to go get your bride. And when the Lord Jesus gets that okay from the Father, the rapture comes. See, that's why we believe in the pre-trib rapture. (laughs) No, we'll let him cook down there for a while. (laughs) No, no, that's not his heart. The rapture is a very tender thing. It's a very loving thing. What it is, it's the aspect of of a bridegroom coming for the bride. It's not coming to <laughs> pull them out of the fire, amen? But at the same time, in Ephesians chapter 5, it talks about the relationship with the husband and wife. And it talks about how that the, the bride keeps herself unspotted. You see, this is the thing. When we live with the concept of an imminent return of Christ, that means we don't know when he is going to come. We as the bride, every day will be careful that we're prepared for when he comes. And we'll keep ourselves unspotted so that when he comes, he will have his pure bride. Amen? That's why the Bible says in 1 John 3, verse 2, it says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. That bride doesn't want to be caught when, when the pure bridegroom comes, doesn't want to be caught with any stain on her dress. Yeah, you know what that would be. Would, ladies, can you relate? <laughs> Amen. Wouldn't you want to be all nicely dressed and ready for the coming of your bridegroom? Or are you going to be in your overalls feeding the pigs in the back? You know what I mean? Oh, you put on your best dress. You see, what's happening today with the mid-trib rapture position, the post-trib rapture positions, what they're trying to do is steal away from you that imminent aspect of the rapture. See, if you believe in a mid-trib rapture, you don't be concerned about the imminency of Christ because it, it doesn't exist. You just say, hey, don't worry about it. He's not coming again until the Antichrist comes to power. So we just wait for the tribulation. <laughs> and then when he signs that, that covenant with, with Israel for seven years, now we can count down three and a half years and then Jesus is going to come. So you can, you can wear your, your, your ugly dresses and, and act the way you want until the day before. <laughs> the Lord designed his coming to purify us. <clears throat> The imminent return of Christ is the heart of the pre-trib rapture position. (laughs) 
And when you don't believe in the preacher of rapture position, you lose the imminency of Christ, and they'll admit it. I've asked them straight to their face, you do not believe in the imminent return. No, we don't. Well, you're wrong, my friend. <laughs> and I could prove it ten times over, <laughs> going to all these different scriptures. And if you would just catch the spirit of the rapture, you would know exactly what I'm talking about. But you don't, because you're too focused on the Antichrist. And the filthy things of this world. Set your affections on those things which are above. Not those things that are on the earth. I'm not waiting for the Antichrist. I am waiting for the Christ. Amen. The Antichrist is not on my agenda. He'll come when he comes. All I know is I'm going to be in glory when he comes. I'm waiting for him. Folks, it's important. (laughs) It, it has to do with the purity of your heart. And then they say, well, what does it really matter? It matters. <laughs> I knew when I came here to Airdrie, I have a statement of faith that the church abides by. And everybody that joins a church, I give them one of those. And I say, you have to agree with this. If you don't, don't even bother. <laughs> because we're not a membership of just uh, the good old boy feel good club. We're a membership of solid Bible doctrine of like mind where we say the same thing. Amen. And when I came here, I knew the battle. (laughs) I began to see the trend of what was happening with with even independent Baptists, how they were turning away from the pre-trib rapture position and going to this mid-trib. And you know what I said? I'm putting that doctrine smack dab in the middle of our statement of faith. And there's going to be no member of Airdrie Baptist Church that's going to believe in the the mid-trib rapture position. Because I want people here that are purifying themselves. Every day, because he could come back tonight. <laughs> the mid-trib rapture people, they don't believe he'll come back tonight. They don't. They're laying back. <laughs> There's two positions of life. You incline your ear unto wisdom, or you recline. The mid-trib position will cause you to recline. The pre-trib position will cause you to incline. <laughs> Amen. And we need to be incliners today. We need to set our ear forward. We need to say, Lord, help me to prepare. Help me to be ready. Not this, it doesn't matter. That's what the devil's trying to do to the church. Amen? So I'm not going to give up on that doctrine. <laughs> I'm not going to, and I've had people that I've loved come to the church and said, you know, I, I believe in the midterm position. I want to be a member. I says, you can't. And they left. And can I tell you something? It was a right choice. <laughs> it is a right choice. Keep the return of Christ always before you. Number two, don't fellowship with people of impure hearts. Now, that should be a no-brainer, but it really isn't so much of a no-brainer because we do it all the time, <laughs> you know? In First Timothy, dealing with pastors and dealing with leaders it says lay hands subtly on no man neither be partaker of other men's sins keep thyself pure now i understand they may be a part of your good good boy club and you know you stand behind them because hey we've always known each other our whole life but folks you don't just lay your hands subtly on anybody I remember there was a time where someone asked me, could you vouch for me? I'm getting this problem through family services and so forth. Oh, sure I will. You've been coming to our church. And you know what? I went in there and I stood in this person's corner. 
And they vouched that they were doing things right. And I says, okay, he's doing good. And I told this worker, he's doing great. And I found out he wasn't doing great. And I made a decision that day, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to do that anymore. Lay hands suddenly on no man. Don't you put your approval, your verification on people if you don't really know what they're about. Well, how will I know, preacher? This is how you'll know. You'll know when they're faithful to the house of God. You'll know when they serve wholeheartedly in the ministries of God and, and giving themselves to it. Then you know something's going right there. You know when they talk about what God tells them in the word of God and how they're, they're walking with him and they're, they're praying and they're getting answers to prayer. That's how you know they're doing well. But not just because they're your good old buddy. Lay hands suddenly on no man. Keep thyself pure. You become a partaker of that man's sins. When you vouch for people that are sinning. Do you understand that? <laughs> now I understand there's the ignorance of it, and the Lord, I'm sure, is gracious that way. But folks, many times people know about it, and they still stand behind it. 2 Timothy 2.19, it says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his, and let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but of also wood and of earth, some to honor, some to dishonor. If a man therefore will purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow after righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Amen. I know as soon as people start, with, start with, withdrawing from the, the people of God, there's something wrong in their heart. The Bible commands us to be together with the people that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. We start separating ourselves, going our own way, and now we'll, 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 we'll spiritualize it. <laughs> well, you know, this is what I, <laughs> you just, <laughs> it doesn't matter what you say. God knows. God knows. The people of God are with the people of God. The children of God love the children of God. By this you know that you love God when you love the children of God. Amen. When you, when you can look around this place and say, you know what, I love these people. And I know they all got problems like I do, but I love each and every one of them. That's a good sign that you love God. Amen. It's a sign you got a pure heart. But if you're looking around critical, cutting people up, gossiping about them, there's something wrong with your relationship with God. You get that? <laughs> I know that hits. That hits. So hang around with people. Do not fellowship with people of impure hearts. Reject impure thinking and meditate on pure things. We see that Philippians 4, verse number 8. It says, Finally, brethren... 
whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. When you find your mind going in the wrong direction, ask yourself, go through this verse and say, am what I'm thinking, is this honest? Is this truly honest? Or am I being dishonest here? Am I saying things about people that really aren't necessarily true, but because I'm hurt, I'm making them look worse than it really is? I'm being dishonest. The Bible says renounce the hidden things of dishonesty. Amen? Is this just? Am I thinking purely here? Are my thoughts lovely? Are my thoughts on things of good report? Now, we could all look at each other. You could look at me and you'd come up with a list of things that you don't like about me. But I'd rather you write a list of the things you do like about me. <laughs> Amen. Focus on those things. And you know what? I'll do the same for you. I'll make lists of things in your life that I like and I'll try to aspire to that. You, know, you understand that each one of us have gifts and strengths that we could learn from and we could grow and become better if we would just keep making lists of the good things in people's lives? we would become better. Amen? That's important, but if we're always looking at the bad list, now, chances are, you're also becoming worse when you're looking at the bad list all the time. It's an amazing thing. When someone is bitter at somebody, they become like the person that they're bitter at. Why is that? That's because they focus on that person so much Day in, day out, they take on the characteristic of that person. So now if I would look at you and say, hey, what are some great things about Dan Fenske? <laughs> sort of use your name, brother. You've just gone global. <laughs> <Amen>. <laughs> what are some good things? And I would focus on all the great things about Dan. You know what? It would make me better. Or about Paul or Allie or Micah or Eric, Neil. And just start making lists of the good things. Good report. Amen. That's a way to keep the heart pure. You know, and even people have hurt you. You know, don't, don't focus on what they've done. Still, even then, it says right here, whatsoever things are honest. Now, I understand sometimes they do something, you've got to deal with it. I mean, you can't just sweep it under the rug. Amen. We talked about that last week. You've got to deal with things. But that doesn't mean I've got to sit there and I'll cut them up every time I see them. I need to pray that they deal with the lump under the rug. Amen? And then finally, we're done. Just spend time in the pure Word of God. Now, I hope that our Bible reading schedule that we gave out at the beginning of the year, that you've been uh, trying to get through some of that. Uh, some of you, I don't know if you've been faithfully now right now you should be just over half of a year done that means you you should have read about over half the bible at this point what a great thing amen and if you haven't you say well preacher i i started late well so what just read (laughs) amen it's not how much you've read it's just that you're reading and keep reading my kids look at that list and say oh you know i can't keep up with this well you see that next check mark just read that (laughs) you know and then read the next one tomorrow or i mean just keep reading don't stop i mean you stop then you read nothing right 
So what you got to do is just keep reading. And if, if you don't get through in a year, whatever, it's not saying thou shalt read the Bible in a year or you're not right with God. It just helps you work through a schedule so you keep yourself accountable. Amen. The Bible says thy word is very pure. Therefore thy servant loveth it. I like making much of the Bible. I believe our Bible is perfect. There's not one word in this book that I, that I think can be done better. Unless there's maybe some copyright words in the front. I don't know. <laughs> you know. But as far as the text is concerned, I wouldn't change one word. I've had people come to me, oh, that word. I said, no, I like this word better. <laughs> well, you understand. Well, I understand that the people who wrote this are smarter than you. <laughs> it's amazing. I got the internet. <laughs> but they had brains. <laughs> <laughs> Your internet doesn't mean you got brains. Yeah. I'll tell you something. You punch KGV in the internet, uh, I'll tell you something. You get a lot of views by very, some very stupid people. And I'm looking at this. I'm saying the only reason that you'd be writing things against God's word is, is because there's something wrong with you. You're not telling me where a better Bible is. You're just taking away from me what I believe is the Bible. There's something wrong with that, man. <laughs> there really is. I mean, I could say, hey, hey, pastor, you're being deceived. That Bible, it's got all kinds of problems. Okay, give me the Bible. Well, I don't have one. Then I'll just use this one. Hey. Like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> what is wrong with you, man? <laughs> For me, if I'm going to tell somebody they're doing something wrong, I'm going to probably tell them, how to be, do it better, <laughs> you know? But if there's somebody, all they're doing is tearing down the Bible and they're telling you, oh, you can't have a perfect Bible today, there's something wrong with that. <laughs> this is a sword in our hands today. We're fighting an enemy. He's real. And the only weapon we have is God's word. And this Bible is just as sharp, the sword is just as sharp as it was in the first century when they wrote the first line upon that paper, we have a sharp sword. It has not been dulled because of man. That is the whole miracle of our God that he can use an imperfect person to do a perfect work. He can use an imperfect virgin to bring forth a perfect son of God. That is a magnificent testimony of how great our God is. You're going to take that away from me too? Stop thinking worldly. Well, man's involved. Yeah, God is great. That's my response. <laughs> you want to take that away from me? No, he's not. <laughs> yes, he is. And it's amazing. You would take this book, you'd cut out every word, you throw it in the back room. This is the last book on the planet. You start taping it back together. God is so great, it would come back as the King James Bible. Amen. Because we will always have his word. Because we got his word on that. And that's where I develop my doctrines. Not because of Dr. So-and-so that knows the Greek language. I spent some time talking to... Um, he's a real close friend. <laughs> Defending the King James Bible. D.A. Waite. And he came over one time and we... We were having a course together, and I spent a lot of time with him. I, you know, I was helping him with the setting up the teaching and so forth, and so we had a lot of conversations. 
And he told me, he says, I've been learning Greek my whole life. And I've just started. I, I, I really don't know it that well. He's not a Greek person. He didn't grow up as a Greek person. Folks, you don't need to be grow, grow up in Greece to know what God said. Nor do you have to grow up a Hebrew to know what God said. Those were the languages that God used at that time because they were the global or the main languages for the word of God. When Alexander the Great defeated the empire and took over the kingdoms, he made Greece, uh, Greek, the Koine Greek, the language of the world. And that was so they could have communication across the planet. Send a message here, they'll understand it there. God used that when he gave us the text to this book. Guess what? That kingdom, that empire, the Byzantine Empire, the Greek Empire, died a long time ago. And it died about the same time, guess when? The printing press was invented. Now why is that important? Because until then, it was preserved through the Greek language. But after that, it's now preserved through copying. Do you understand? And now we're living in a day and age where English, whether you like it or not, whether you believe it or not, is the primary language of this planet. It's the missionary language. Yeah, but, you know, God, he wouldn't put the Bible in the main language of the earth. <laughs> no, why would he do that? If he was going to bring those manuscripts together according to his sovereign grace and providence and put them in one book like this that they've never had before, <laughs> what language would he put it in? Greek? English. 1611. 400 years, people loved it. They thought it was the greatest thing. Until, all of a sudden, two heretics that weren't even saved found some Greek texts that were found in the garbage can at the Vatican and the monastery. And they tried to bring that into what was acceptable and what is accepted as the Greek text manuscripts. And so the next version they tried to push was the revised version. And it was that version that Westcott and Hort brought those texts in underneath. And they started using those when they started to translate the revised version. This is the only Bible that has been translated from the Texas Receptus. Every other modern English Bible has been used with those perverted texts. Every one, even the New King James because they've opened up their mind to that. <laughs> These guys, when they translated this in the English language, they rejected any perverted text. They compared it to texts that were available from the first century and on. They knew what was available. Folks, when you had preachers writing texts down in the first century of Scripture, and it's lining up with what they're finding now in, in the year 1600, saying, oh, there's something equal here. If you find that 95% of the texts today agree with one another, that have been found from different sources throughout the centuries, and yet they're in agreement, you can deduce one thing. They all came from the same source. Amen? Amen. <laughs> 
which is what? The Apostle Paul, the Apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, written down, copied. That's the preservation process of God, is through copying and giving to the churches. The churches became the, the preservation instrument that God used. And the notes that were made by preachers and the songs that were sung by the churches and the scripture that was put into these manuscripts and all types of different uh, things that were written down, not just the biblical text, but they found these things that agreed with them in preacher's notes that agreed with the text that they had. So when they disagreed with these perverted texts, reject it. Amen? I mean, there's got to be a process, right? God would know that. He made that possible. That's why we can say today, I've got the pure words of God. And because of that, therefore, thy servant loveth it. You want your children to love the word of God? You want them to care about what's in this book? You start teaching them it's perfect. You start teaching them it's the very words of God. If you start teaching, well, a better uh, translation would be, well, you just watch your kids throw the Bible right out the window. Why would they want to put their trust in something that's not reliable? Folks, I tell my kids there's not a word I'd change. (laughs) And I have all kinds of smart people coming. Well, I think... Well, what do you think doesn't matter? I've gone through those battles. It's not because I've been taught that by my preacher. There was a time my preacher taught that. And I says, you know, Lord, if I'm going to be a preacher, I need to know this for me. Not because of him, because of me. And God showed me. He says, I've got the perfect word of God for you. And I've come to the place, I believe it, God. When I stand before him, I'm going to say, Lord, I just believe by faith what you said. He says, yeah, that's good enough for me. Others will say, well, you know, I listen to the smartest people on the planet. And God will say, they're pretty stupid. Because they destroyed your faith. See, it's a faith position. It's a faith position before it's an intellectual position. Amen? If it's an intellectual position, what you're going to do is go to the internet and find the next smart guy and it's going to wreck your faith. I just go to the Bible, take what he says first. And what he says, that's what carries me through. And then I don't mind learning history. I know a lot about the King James Bible. I know how we got it. It all verifies the fact that it is the word of God. I'm not scared of that. But that's not why I believe it. I believe it because of the text itself. And if this Bible isn't the perfect word of God, well, he promised there is one, that he preserved it unto every generation, then I'd just ask, well, who knows where it is? And I'd go to these Greek scholars and I'd knock on their door. <laughs> I heard you're the smart one around here. And I'm just a simple man trying to find out where God's word is. Can you tell me where that is, sir? They can give me some garbly gook about the Greek this and that. I'm say, no, sir. <clears throat> I need to go home and teach my children tonight what God said. Where do I find that, sir? Well, you go to school. <laughs> no, sir. I got children at home tonight. I need God's word right now. Oh, folks, <laughs> thy word is very pure. Therefore, thy servant loveth it. Loveth it. 
Oh, give yourself to the Word of God. Read it. <laughs> Memorize it. Make it a part of your life. Get a Bible schedule. Start at square one. <laughs> Amen. Just keep ticking it off and keep ticking it off and keep reading and keep reading and keep reading. I don't care if it takes 10 years to get through it. You just keep reading the Word of God. Amen. And your heart will become pure. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word.